Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Hello, and welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network, and thanks for joining us today. My name is Michelle Beck. I'm a two-time nine-year survivor of breast cancer, and I'm the patient programs assistant at Breast Friends, and when I have time... I write at a blog called I Never Liked Pink. Before we get started with our fabulous guest today, I want to remind listeners out there that if you would like to send me your warrior stories of inspiration, what helped you through your cancer journey, or how your life has changed for the better since cancer, please do. I would love to have it here on the show. My email address is michellebeck at breastfriends.org. And also, I want to give some shout outs to our listeners. I've got Amy Lippert in Verona, Wisconsin, Lisa Pendabine from Wappinger Falls, New York, and also a special shout out to Deborah Hammer from Madison, Wisconsin, who just came back with a clear scans. Yay! Appreciate all of your support so much. And all of you out there, if you have a moment, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I would love the feedback. But today, I'm super excited to welcome just this amazing woman here. She's so knowledgeable, dynamic, and caring. She's a certified lymphedema therapist from my oncologist here in Portland, Oregon, um, Compass Oncology, and I'm so lucky to know her. She did a um, a virtual workshop for us a few weeks ago for Breast Friends, and I learned so much about our topic today, which is lymphedema, all things. So welcome, Christy Turbo. Thank you so much for being here. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, your your family, and what you, what you do. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Michelle, so much for inviting me. I am thrilled to be here this morning with you and all of your listeners and just have an opportunity to have a conversation about uh, diagnosis and treatment um, Mm -hmm. that I do every day um, with a lot of my patients. So um, I'll tell you how I landed here in Portland. Um, I have been a PT now for 24 years and I've worked in a whole bunch of different clinical settings. Um, But as I mentioned last time we spoke, um, I really was seeing a huge need for oncology rehab for clinicians that had an expertise in this field mm-hmm. um, as patients are living and surviving and thriving so much longer um, now with cancer um, and after its treatment. So um, I ended up working at Ohio State for the lymphedema clinic there in their breast center before my husband took a job out here in Portland. And Mm -hmm. so we made the venture now about three and a half years ago out this way with our two teenage boys. One's now in college and one's a senior here um, in the Portland area. And so when we came out this way, I I knew very strongly that I wanted to stay in lymphedema care and cancer um, rehab. And I was thrilled to get connected with Compass Oncology. They were looking to start a department. They didn't have one at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew that's kind of the the line of work and the niche of field of PT that I wanted to stay in. And so it's been a great pairing. I've started the department about two and a half years ago at Compass Oncology. I work here in Tigard and um, have just met some amazing patients and providers um, and community uh, resources like yourselves. And I just really um, am very, very happy to be where I am and to have an opportunity to continue to do what I love. Well, it's so appreciated. Um, I have been lucky enough to never experience lymphedema, you know, yet. I know I know it can pop up at any time. Hopefully not, though. <laughs> hopefully not. I, I had um, I have most of my lymph nodes still, so I'm, I'm pretty sure. lucky in that aspect. But let's let's dig right into this. And 
So can you talk about what is lymphedema or especially related to breast cancer? How, what is it and why does it happen? Yeah, absolutely. No worries. So we'll definitely keep this more catered to breast cancer related lymphedema. Of course, Mm -hmm. it can be the result of other medical issues. But in my world, um, and what we're talking about today, it really comes down to a clinical presentation of swelling. Lymphedema is an excess of protein rich fluid, this lymphatic fluid that gets trapped under the skin. Um, And in, in breast cancer patients, most people often think of it as being in the arm, but it absolutely can be just isolated to the breast or to the trunk region um, or the arm as well. And so it's a it's an excess of swelling and it's due to um, damage to the lymphatics um, as a result of the treatment. So, um, or tumor growth itself. Sometimes there's actually tumor obstruction of the lymphatic, lymphatics, say in the underarm, in that axillary region. So, um, surgery itself, the radiation um, can create scarring in and around the area tumor obstruction itself, all of those things result in kind of a sluggishness or a slowing down of the normal flow of lymph fluid through our lymphatic vessels and through the lymph nodes. And the result is this development of swelling over time um, that can become, doesn't always, but can become more progressive in nature and lead to what people sometimes think of as the very disfiguring, really super Mm -hmm. swollen, less functional arm that tends to get recurrent infections due to this chronic state of inflammation. So there's a whole spectrum we'll talk about certainly, but a lot of people jump to or think in their minds of, oh my gosh, this is lymphedema. But a lot of women um, and men struggle with lymphedema at an earlier stage. And so it's, I try to get in and educate patients very early on if they're having symptoms, because Mm -hmm. the treatment is much more efficacious if it's, if it's started earlier versus later. Um, So that's kind of how it comes about. It's damage to our lymphatic vessels and structures through treatment um, or through tumor growth itself that results in um, less capacity for the lymphatic system to work as it should. Perfect. And for just from, from my own knowledge, like sure. I only had a few lymph nodes removed and tested and everything was clear. Sure. Can I assume that your danger for a risk of lymphedema is larger if you've had more lymph nodes removed? It is. It does elevate. Absolutely. So there's there's kind of a host of different things that can contribute um, to a, a higher risk of um, development of lymphedema. The mm-hmm. main one people think of is that larger axillary node dissection. Yes. So one of the things that's really improved over time is, I mean, I've had patients who you know had surgery 20, 30 years ago, and it was more commonplace to just take out take 25, yeah, 30, take, take everything. Mm-hmm. This massive radical um, dissection. The techniques have certainly become more targeted, and that's lowered the risk for patients who are going through these procedures. Um, all, all that being said, even if you've just had a few nodes, especially if it's paired with some other factors, like having mm-hmm. to have concurrent radiation therapy, um, if you have other medical issues that um, alter the fluid balance in your body, things like kidney failure, congestive heart failure, um, if there's other issues or if you have other systemic problems with the body that affect tissue healing, um, things like diabetes, that can elevate your risk because it can kind of be this cascade of multiple um, factors that if you're somebody who's prone to get infections anyway, and then your lymphatic system is affected, um, which heightens your risk. The lymphatic system is hugely important with immune function, Mm -hmm. not just fluid balance. So often it's some of those other factors that can then escalate your risk as well. Um, A couple other things would be if you're someone who struggled with a lot of post operative infections, 
Um, mm-hmm. So, or development of seromas, um, other things that help to, um, or sadly kind of delay the normal transport of lymph fluid, those will then sometimes elevate that risk um, for lymphedema in the limb. Got it. It's, it's such an important system that you don't even think about until you have problems with it. It's 100% true. And it's interesting. I mean, from, from patients' perspective, but also from clinicians' perspective, um, I talk to providers, doctors and PAs and nurse practitioners all the time about this. Um, even when I was in school back in the early 90s, the lymphatic system was barely touched on. And um, and again, I was in a PT setting, not a, a pre-med sure. setting, but even in with among physicians, it's not something, it's not a system as crucial as it is that gets the attention that it deserves. And sadly, it's only, as you mentioned, once something's not working well with it, when it's impacted, that all of a sudden you realize how vital um, the functions are that it that it delivers to our body. And so I think there's definitely an um, there's been a, a gain of the appreciation for the system, and there's slowly an increase in the education across um, medical providers. But I find even since I've been here, I am meeting with and doing, um, you know, presentations on and talking to them about the treatment so they have a better understanding of what there really is that we can do to support the lymphatic system. Many of us have issues. Um, a lot of our patients, obviously, most of them have some compromise and there's a lot that can be done. But I think sometimes it's even getting past the hurdle of understanding w- why you need to do it and why the lymphatic system is so important. We don't want to wait till someone's function is compromised and then try to catch up. So if, if your lymphatic system is functioning properly, what, what is the big picture that it does for our body? You've touched on it a little bit, but yeah, no worries. The two biggest things, the two biggest functions are maintaining fluid balance um, and also its immune function. So most people think of that more, the immune function. The lymph system as a whole is a series of vessels and nodes and organs that help process bacteria, um, viruses that get into our body. Um, They, they transfer in those larger kind of viral toxic materials through the lymph nodes. And that's where we filter. It's where our white blood cells are made. Some of them are made. And so they, it basically is kind of the sewage system of our body that cleans it out and then mm-hmm. takes the residual fluid after that's all been processed through the nodes and dumps it back into our circulatory system. Um, and that's, that's more commonly what we think of processing mm-hmm. um, some of those so it's kind of like a sieve, like, all, you know, all the bad things get stuck and the good things can move through it. Correct. And so if you have, obviously, if you have damage to it, then it's not going to work properly. Correct. And very layman's end, terms. It's, but that's the easiest way to think of it sometimes is I just because patients say, well, does it really matter if my arm's a little bit swollen? It's not I can do what I need to do. It's not bothering me um, at that point at some of those early stages. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of like, well, why, why, why mess with that? The thing is, though, it is important to understand that that particular fluid that's under the skin is carrying a lot of that bacteria and the negative material, cellular waste, think of it that way. And so it actually is kind of a breeding ground for infections. So even at a low level, (laughs) it's really important to keep it moving. And so that's why some of the treatments become important, even at an early phase. Um, it, It does happen sometimes where somebody with lower level and earlier stage of lymphedema gets a bacterial infection, gets a cut from a cat or a dog or whatever it is. And all of a sudden, because there's this kind of stagnant, less uh, 
well, just think of it as kind of toxic fluid well, out of the skin that's not the, moving. You said the, the cesspool. I was yes, like, oh, the cesspool. That, that is not anything that anyone wants to have in Nobody their body. Wants that, but it doesn't. It doesn't look like that at the early stages. But it mm-hmm. is important to recognize that you wouldn't want that sitting under the skin. And so, the as to your point, that's why the lymphatic system is so crucial. It keeps that fluid moving properly filters it, um, allows the body to use its own mechanisms to help to help fight that those kind of foreign invaders, if you will, um, and keeps and also maintains your fluid balances in the body, which is super important. So it's it's a component of the circulatory system, but it's also really vital as part of your immune system. Um, and so it's it's to your point, it's just something that we really have to do what we can to support its function, even in the presence of some impairment. Keep in mind, breast cancer-related lymphedema, typically, we're talking about a quadrant, right? Say the right breast, the mm-hmm. right underarm, the right arm, the right trunk. It doesn't necessarily mean that you know, you're going to get an infection down in your toe. The body has some natural regions um, that it mm-hmm. kind of separates your lymphatic um, system into. And so the, the swelling will tend to stay in that region, but that allows us on the positive to route fluid that gets stuck in a region that's been treated to other healthy adjacent lymphatic vessels and nodes. And so it's, it is something where the body has some natural mechanisms that we can utilize to help get fluid that's a little bit stuck towards healthier tissue that can then reabsorb it. And it can function in, in, a, in a better way. And so it's something we have some tools by which we can work with. You totally just answered my next question. When, like, <laughs> what, what are the goals of uh, uh, physical therapy lymphatic treatment? <laughs> yeah, so it's, well, there, it's, there's a few kind of main specific ones. Uh, one really important one is that I want to educate starting on day one, educate the patient and or their caregivers, if we're pleasant and able enough to have people now, despite COVID, we're starting to be able to have some family members accompany. Um, the, one of the primary goals is to educate patients about the system itself and why it's important to do the interventions that we're doing. Um, and we, the whole focus is to try to get some reduction of that swelling. That's the most palpable thing that the patients are asking about, hey, I have this big limb. That's usually what brings them in, right? They're starting to notice a visible change or it's uncomfortable. Um, And so that's usually the swelling's what brings them in, right? So the goal would be reducing that swelling. And by doing so, from a clinical standpoint, we're reducing the risk of disease progression and infection risk. So that's a big one for me and for that patient. Um, Typically, as the fluid is moved out, that makes the patient more comfortable. So we're reducing pain or discomfort or heaviness or numbness or tingling, some of these side effects that occur. Um, And so those are kind of the, the main pieces of kind of main goals right up front is swelling reduction, consequential reduction in disease progression and infection, improved comfort for the patient, and education about how to keep the limb volume stable so it doesn't necessarily progress to the next stages. And you had mentioned pain and discomfort. Mm-hmm. Is I imagine it's not, I haven't had it so, but it's not sure. like an acute pain. Is it? Is it the pain from swelling? That yeah, is- so So that's a great question. So um, typically lymphedema doesn't present with pain. And I want to be really clear about that. It's something, it depends on the stage that you're dealing with it and how long that you've dealt with it over time. More commonly, it's described early on as just a feeling of kind of achy, achiness and heaviness in that limb or breast um, or fullness. Just by the end of the day, it just feels full. I have a pocket of heaviness, you know, in my upper arm or in my breast. Um, It doesn't typically present as pain. It's more achy. 
Um, however, in later stages, when things have been, when you've had lymphedema for a long time, and if it's progressing to some of the later stages, there are skin changes that make um, the skin more firm and hard and less mobile. Um, and that it's persistent swelling over time absolutely sure. impacts the soft tissues, the nerves that are in that area. And so you absolutely could be having a conversation with someone who's had really chronic progressive lymphedema and they may describe more pain. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it is so, it's associated with some of the infections that can present. So skin breakdown and skin integrity issues, those little superficial wounds that can present mm-hmm. or a more full-blown infection absolutely would have pain. But lymphedema as itself, just as far as fullness and heaviness in the arm. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody came in and they had a quick onset of really swollen, painful arm, that's not commonly um, how lymphedema You would, you would assume that at that point, they probably have an infection. I and, would be worried more yeah. about some of the other, yes, like differential mm-hmm. diagnosis for that um, because that's not a common presentation for early stage lymphedema. Got it. And you had mentioned um, the difference between day and night. So does it get worse as the day progresses when you're up and you're moving and then get better at night if you're laying down and not moving? Commonly, yes, especially in the earlier stages. So especially for someone who's kind of at a latent stage or they're just starting to feel symptoms of that um, or even what we call a stage one. And we'll talk about some of these stages mm-hmm. more. But um, absolutely, because the the breast and the arm are in a gravity dependent position throughout the day, fluid flows in the path of least resistance. Right, mm-hmm. Michelle? And so, yeah. yes, if you're upright and doing things throughout the day, it's not uncommon to start the day and feel like, OK, everything feels pretty good, pretty normal for my new body, if you will post-surgically. Mm-hmm. Um, but then throughout the day, the hand and arm may begin to feel a little heavier or fuller. Same with the breast. Women will say that at the end of the day, they go to take off their bra and that that affected breast looks a little fuller and denser and feels heavier. So mm-hmm. the pattern of symptoms can be really important. Got it. Okay. Side note, I have to say you said taking off a bra. I'm like, I haven't worn a bra in oh. four years. <laughs> Very good point. <laughs> if you happen to be wearing one. I'm, I'm very so, fortunate that I have good reconstruction that I didn't have to. No, that's fantastic. It's coming from lymphedema world. Most of my patients have to feel better in compression, feel better yeah. if they're supported. So mm-hmm. that's, I, it's, it is true. I have several patients who don't, but for patients who actually have breast lymphedema, they're commonly going to yes. be in a bra. <laughs> Sorry, that's my brain squirrel. Oh, no, um, you're absolutely great. And you, you said that you want to... Um, start seeing patients from day one. What What is day one considered at post, post-surgery, like at their post-op, or when do you start, or if they have swelling presenting? Yeah, so it, it varies. We'll talk about the lymphedema referrals, but um, I, I definitely have a few different categories of patients I see. Um, I know we're getting close on time, so I want to make mm-hmm. sure... Um, I will see patients preoperatively if they have a lot of risk factors for lymphedema, but more commonly it's patients who have kind of chronic lymphedema who've had a change in status or maybe need some new garments um, or have had a recent infection, something that's triggered a progression. Got it. That makes sense. Thank you, Christy. So listeners stay with us. We're going to take a short break. And also if you would like to make a donation to breast friends to help us continue on its mission to ensure that women don't go through cancer alone, you can tech donate on our website or text BF radio to 41444. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends 
You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck, and my guest is Christy Turbo lymphedema physical therapist from Compass Oncology here in Portland, Oregon. So let's continue because I know we have so much to get through. So I wanted to ask about what might be some differential diagnoses or like contradictions, precautions for physical therapy, lymphedema treatment. I know that had a lot lot of words in there. No, no, absolutely. No, it's really important. And we touched on that a moment ago um, when we were talking about kind of a red, hot, swollen, painful Mm -hmm. limb. Um, It is really important in in my world and for any clinicians who are seeing patients that you know other possible causes for swelling because there are many. And so typically, at least for me, if there's any concern about an infection like cellulitis, um, which is something that comes on much more rapidly, yes, you'll have a sudden increase and swelling of the limb, but it's going to be accompanied by redness of the skin, likely a fever, um, quite a bit of significant pain, as I was referencing before. Um, That's a really can become a life-threatening situation. And so if a Mm -hmm. patient came into me and was worried it was lymphedema, just because they happened to have had breast cancer treatment, immediately that's going to go for a referral back to the provider. So that's a really, and it's not uncommon for patients to develop cellulitis. Um, It is really important to treat promptly. We had so. Quick antidote, Um, one of our patients in our private Facebook groups, she had some cellulitis and she had posted a picture of her arm and wrist area. And she's like, is this lymphedema? What can I do? And Yvonne, um, my my BFF, (laughs) she saw the picture and she's like, oh, 100% go to the hospital right now. She had a a bad case of cellulitis and she was in the hospital for three days. So you need to be very proactive. And if anything feels off, go to the doctor. Yeah, I I absolutely can answer. Yeah, it's it's people sometimes want to just oh it's probably this. No, it's actually that can that can spread really quickly, and it's crucial to get antibiotics on board and get that infection well under control. It would never be appropriate for me to be doing massage Mm -hmm. and 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 my normal treatments over an infected limb with cellulitis. There's a couple other things as well, though. I mean, there's there's a ton of precautions. I'll focus more on the things that really would be, would preclude me from starting treatment, but um, an acute blood clot, a DVT. So obviously if you have an obstruction in one of your vessels, that also can present with a some onset of swelling, 
again, commonly you're going to have pain. It might be like if you think of a calf, a blood, a blood clot down in the calf, yep. but it can absolutely happen in the arm as well. It's more sudden onset. It's painful. It can become um, red or firm or hard, which yes, that can happen, not the redness per se, but the firmness mm-hmm. and hardness can happen with lymphedema, but it's not a quick onset. And so if there's any concern of that, it's crucial to get an ultrasound. Your provider would have to order um, imaging to make sure that a blood clot wasn't causative for the swelling. So those are two big ones that I see commonly my, the providers are ruling those things out before they're ever sending them my way. So, um, but if someone kind of slipped through or was able to get in with me and there'd been a mm-hmm. change in status since they'd seen their doctor, I would absolutely refer them back or have them go to the emergency room. Um, there's other things I touched on before, systemic medical problems, issues with the heart, um, mm-hmm. basically acute congestive heart failure. I certainly see patients with heart failure or kidney issues, but if they're in acute, in an acute unmanaged state where things are out of control, the body, um, if you think of somebody with acute congestive heart failure, they're going to tend to present with really significant swelling, commonly down in the legs. I realize we're talking more breast cancer mm-hmm. um, related swelling, but that has to get managed and under control before we can proceed with treatment. So most of the patients I see have some of these other systemic issues. It doesn't mean you, they can't be um, treated by a PT for the lymphedema, but those other issues have to get managed first. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when you, when you first see a new patient, what is, how do you do your assessment? Because, and um, since I've, I've listened to your, your, this, all this information before um, I know there are stages. Yeah. How do you, how do you assess and diagnose what stage someone is at? Yeah. So um, I think first and foremost, I'm going to take a really solid history. Part of that is ruling out those other differential diagnoses. So I'm going to have a conversation with the patient and or their family members about the pattern of symptoms, um, the duration uh, that it's been going on, and if it's something that's fluctuating and changing or if it's staying very stable. Um, I'm going to be looking at things um, like their skin, the quality of their skin, the integrity of their skin. We take measurements of the arms, for instance, and or the chest. So we get some baseline measurements so we can assess for change, whether it's a progression or an improvement, we have to get some baselines established as to what the limb volume looks like on day one so that we can can verify the need for interventions and improvement um, in response to treatment. Um, I'm going to look at their functional motion, range of motion and strength because we need activation of those skeletal muscles to help um, basically mobilize and get some of that fluid out of there. So if if I have a patient who maybe has had a prior neurologic issue, a stroke, say, and they don't have normal function of that limb, that's going to make their treatment a little bit harder. Um, Mm -hmm. We're going to have to find ways, maybe a caregiver helping to mobilize that limb. Um, I have to know motion strength, neurologic integrity, skin integrity, limb volume. These are all things we're going to look at that help us gauge what stage they're in at that time. So, to answer your questions about the stages, stage zero, um, they would go kind of zero to three. Zero is called a subclinical or a latent phase. And it's the earliest stage of lymphedema where a patient might say, gosh, you know, I'm kind of feeling like end of the day, my breast feels really heavy, but I can't see any changes. My skin looks normal, but it doesn't feel normal from the inside out. Um, puffy. It's puffy. It's, yeah, it doesn't, it just doesn't, if the skin might feel a little tight, but maybe clinically the measurements don't look that different yet. It's still, those are, I pay attention to those subclinical symptoms. These are patients we might get in a prophylactic compression sleeve and start to, to talk to them and educate them about some early phase interventions that are appropriate. Um, often when I'm seeing patients, they're kind of at that stage one where maybe towards the end of the day, the arm's a little bit more swollen, but if they elevate it um, and, and overnight, they'll, 
notice that it's kind of a reversible swelling. It's not mm-hmm. always there. Um, in stage one, it's also kind of a soft, we call it pitting edema. If you put an indentation mm-hmm. with your thumb, it'll indent and take a little while to kind of come back out to rebound. Those are common characteristics of stage one. Um, stage two is going to, you're going to tend to see a little bit more persistent swelling. The limb kind of stays full or the breast stays mm-hmm. full um, and the skin starts to de- uh, demonstrate some changes. It's more thick and firm to touch um, and it's, it doesn't have that pliable kind of malleable pitting edema. Mm-hmm. It's just this more dense tissue. So it's, it's a reflection of the more chronic state of inflammation that the limb is getting in. So you start to become more susceptible to infections um, at that time. And then stage three is what people think of sometimes as the really uh, somewhat more disfiguring, really significant skin folds, very persistent swelling. It doesn't go down. The skin's very hard. You might have breaks in skin integrity issues and more chronic cyclic infections. So there is definitely a continuum. um, But whether I'm seeing someone at stage zero or stage three, that day one evaluation, we're still looking at pattern, skin integrity, and all of the functional mobility of that quadrant so we can see how best to help them. And that was my next question. How do you help these people? Um, I, I, how do you how do you help the lymphedema? How do you treat it? We've sure. been over what it is and, and why. Sure. And, but um, and I took notes before. So I wanted to, you know, kind of be able to define some of these things. Yeah. So what, what is complete decongestive therapy? Yeah, great question. Um, I call it CDT for short because it's a big, big, long phrase, but it is really um, considered the gold standard of care, of of conservative, meaning therapeutic care, non-surgical care for lymphedema. Um, And it consists of two very distinct phases, Michelle. So the first phase um, is much more interaction between the patient and the clinician. So you're coming into the clinic a little more frequently. You're Really, the entire focus of that phase one is to see if you can get that swelling down, if you can reduce the limb volume um, for all those reasons that we said before, Mm -hmm. our goals of treatment. But we want to see if we can affect and actually move that fluid to another part of the body and help it stay there, help help it keep from filling back up. Mm -hmm. And we do that with four main main modes of treatment um, through some form of compression. And we'll talk about these, but compression, manual lymphatic drainage, which is a special massage sequence to help mobilize that fluid, um, teaching them and educating them about um, optimal skincare, and then also introducing exercise, as I mentioned, to activate and use the skeletal muscle to get fluid moving. So that's stage stage one, phase one, if you will, Mm -hmm. of CDT. And phase two would be more of a maintenance phase. That's where the the onus is really on the patient at that time and or their family members to maintain the limb volume reduction that we've achieved. If the swelling has come down, they're going to be using some maintenance compression garments to help keep that swelling down. They're going to be doing their own skincare. Um, Most of mine are doing some self-manual lymph drainage that I've taught them. Mm -hmm. And they're going to have some form of a home exercise program that they're doing. So it's two different phases. What's one's much more intense. And then the second one's a little more maintenance based. Because you would not be a physical therapist if you did not give out homework. <laughs> That's right. I mean, <laughs> and now it, it comes down to the truth. There has to be something. But this one's really with lymphedema in particular. It is a lifelong management. So as opposed to just here's your exercises, it's really about figuring out what works best for that patient to keep their symptoms at bay and and really making sure that they understand that's their biggest homework is is monitoring, right? Maintaining Mm -hmm. so that they don't um, progress to those more problematic stages. And if they do through a result of maybe they have a fall, something totally unrelated and they fracture that arm that was already having some early lymphedema and it kind of cascades into a more significant progression. My 
job is to make sure they understand that traumatic fracture could trigger a lymphatic overload. And it's really important when they recover from that fracture that they get in and make sure maybe they need a, a modification to their regimen, but we need to stay on top of that. So it's, it is a lot about self-management, even well beyond the time that they're coming in to see me. Now, I have seen many women um, in at Breast Friends and just throughout sure, sure. what I do um, who wear various garments, whether they're sleeves or different types of things around their breasts. Can we talk about, I guess they're called maintenance garments? Is that yeah. just Absolutely. And I, what's um, the best term for that? Yeah, I I would, yeah, maintenance compression garments. Absolutely. And there's tons of different kinds. Um, And that's, we transition to that again when they're in more of a maintenance phase. So that would follow compression bandaging. I don't want to be confusing. They're both types of compression. Mm -hmm. Intensively, when we're trying to get swelling down, we're going to be doing more bandaging. Um, But for garments, when patients are ready for the garments, there's a lot of different types and styles to wear, and they have all different levels of compression. It is most important that patients early on when they're new to lymphedema get guidance from a clinician about the, the proper type of garment. Right. So, because I imagine there's so much stuff out there. You don't want the layperson who's like, oh, I'm going to go order that sleeve because it's pretty because there are a bazillion decorated sleeves out there. There's but, so many. <laughs> which, is, which is which is fabulous that there are choices. Yes. But I imagine that your patients really need direction. On- yeah, I, I definitely think so. And mm-hmm. I think um, because compression should not hurt. And I can't tell you how many patients come in for the first time to see me and they bring literally a bucket or a bag of all the garments that they've ordered online, or I got these seven years ago, and <laughs> and all of them hurt. I can't even fit them on anymore. Mm-hmm. They're not the right size. So the fitting is hugely important. The amount of compression. So we talk about different medical grades and class one, class two, class three, all these different amounts, um, but also the type of garment. So if you have really mild lymphedema, it is appropriate to use over-the-counter. They still need to be fit properly, but mm-hmm. over-the-counter, pull-on sleeves or hand pieces, the little gloves gloves or gauntlets, that's absolutely appropriate for mild lymphedema. Those are circular knit garments that can help contain mild swelling. But once you have somebody who's progressed to heavier, more significant lymphedema, and they have maybe these really deep creases and skin folds, those early phase circular knit garments can actually become binding. Binding, I imagine. Mm -hmm. So it's more of almost like a tourniquet effect. It can have that impact. So we need to switch to what's called a flat knit or a more containing thicker knit garment that helps contain very effectively, but it it stays more on top of the skin as opposed to going in and binding. Um, So it's really important that they understand there's different types, um, that patients understand there's different types of knit, there's different levels of compression, um, and and it's really important that you're in the right type for you. The garments that are worn as far as typical traditional elastic sleeves are daytime only. I also have a lot of patients who come in and they say they wore them overnight and they end up with kind of a, you know, like a red deep crevice in the elbow. Mm -hmm. They're not nighttime garments. So educating patients about when and how to wear them and what type is best for their current clinical presentation is really, really important. Um, I will mention too, outside of just the elastic kind of stretchy pull on garments, I have a lot of patients who do well in what are called wraps, Velcro wraps that are easier to put on Mm -hmm. um, and they have some adjustability. Their straps are adjustable and they can be worn at night or during the day. So for patients who maybe struggle with 
chemotherapy-related neuropathy, maybe their hand or grip strength is Mm -hmm. very altered, um, or they have skin integrity issues, and the shearing of, say, pulling on a tight sleeve can disrupt the skin. Um, Sometimes Mm -hmm. having a garment that can be kind of the flaps can be left open, the straps, excuse me, and they pull it on, and then they can adjust the compression throughout the day. Sometimes a Velcro wrap's a really good option um, for the arm if, if it's someone who's struggling with some of the more traditional garments. So those are that's a little bit about some of the maintenance compression garments for hand or arm. Um, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, and you had mentioned night garments. What would be, how are the night garments different? And I know there are some like different kinds of compression pads and things like that that can be worn. Can you talk about those a little bit? Absolutely. Um, Especially for breast lymphedema, I have patients who fare very well with these, what they call edema and fibrosis pads. And they're little foam channeled pads, literally pads that you Mm -hmm. place um, over the breast tissue and also around the chest wall. And they can be held in place by a a strong kind of a moderate to heavy compression bra. And -hmm. when that pad material, the foam channeled material is pushed into the breast tissue, it creates a little tissue gradient that helps allow for drainage from some of that excess fluid in and around the breast. And it also helps because that's worn, say, for six to eight hours overnight, some patients Mm -hmm. prefer, um, versus during the day, Um, can be worn during the day if they don't mind, but it's a little asymmetry with the pad in place. But it, it really works well to help facilitate fluid drainage from the breast and the chest wall and also to soften firm fibrotic tissue, say, after radiation. Mm, if mm-hmm. the breast does, it feels more leathery and dense. Um, the, the pads can be really effective for helping to soften that fibrotic tissue. Um, similarly, night garments are softer kind of foam-filled pads traditionally, kind of sleeves, but they are foam-filled. Mm-hmm. And they help channel and prevent that reaccumulation of fluid. And they also, upon removal in the morning, you'll see all these deep indentations from the channels <laughs> in the skin. But again, versus an arm that has taut, shiny, full, swollen mm-hmm. skin, if we get those little channels, it helps the fluid to drain even overnight while the patient's at rest, and it helps to soften that fibrotic tissue. So reducing that firm swollen tissue helps facilitate movement of that fluid that's trapped under the skin. So night garments and compression pads can be really effective for helping address some of the skin um, and soft tissue fibrosis. Got it. Now, you had also mentioned manual lymphatic drainage, what you do in the first stage. Yep. What is that? Manual lymph drainage is a really specialized, superficial, it's a very gentle massage technique, which is done um, on patients by a clinician initially, but then we teach them how to do some of these sequences on their own. And the whole focus, the purpose is to help mobilize or move fluid that's trapped in an area that's been treated for cancer to those healthy adjacent lymphatics. So if you have a swollen uh, right breast, you can, through massage, help gently mobilize tissue, that fluid, over to the left side where you have a healthy left underarm full of healthy axillary lymph nodes and lymph vessels. The goal of that massage sequence, I mean, it's done in a very particular sequence and order, but is to move fluid from a trapped region, a treated Mm -hmm. region, to healthy adjacent structures. It's very comfortable. It helps reduce pain and discomfort. um, And it really is very effective at softening some of the fibrosis. So we'll typically do manual lymph drainage in session, like in a clinic session, Mm -hmm. and follow it immediately after moving that fluid, we're going to apply the compression. So that helps prevent that those tissues from filling back up. So manual lymph drainage and compression go very much hand in hand. Hand in hand. And, you know, any any type of massage sounds wonderful to me. Plus, <laughs> plus just healing, a human touch is so healing. So I imagine Absolutely. it helps patients emotionally and physically. So Absolutely. I, we do need to take another quick break. But, of course. Um, 
listeners, stay with us. We're going to talk about um, skincare and exercise in lymphedema treatment when we come back. So stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck, and my guest is Christy Turvo, lymphedema therapist. So I know we're going to talk about exercise and skincare, but really quick, I wanted to touch on diaphragmatic breathing. That's a mouthful. (laughs) Tell tell us what that is and how it helps lymphedema. Absolutely. Um, And actually, you were starting to touch base, even when we were talking about manual lymph drainage, how the benefit of light touch can feel Mm -hmm. so good to to anyone, but in particular to patients who've been going through their cancer journey, just having a hand-on-hand approach can really help promote calm. And I complement, I start and end every manual lymph drainage session with having the patient perform diaphragmatic breathing. Um, And a lot of people are aware of the benefit of of slow, deep belly breathing and reducing heart rate and stress and all of those good things. But it's also really important for the lymphatic system because the largest lymph vessel in the body, the long thoracic duct, actually goes up straight through a little opening in the diaphragm. And so one of the ways we can impact the movement of the lymph uh, fluid within the vessels is to actually intentionally perform deep belly breathing, whereas you inhale, the belly fills and expands and the diaphragm's pulling down and compressing the abdominal contents. And then as you exhale, that dome-shaped muscle pulls back up and it basically creates a suction effect on that fluid that's sitting at the base of the the thoracic duct. It helps pull it back up and, and help facilitate movement of that, the deposition of that fluid into the circulatory system. So it's something very simple that can be done at the start and end of a manual drainage session, at the start and end of an exercise session, but it gives the patient, even patients who are very, very ill um, or who are metastatic and really struggling with other elements of their treatment, they can impact the movement and flow of their lymphatic um, system just Mm -hmm. by doing really intentional diaphragmatic breathing. So it's a simple tool, but an important tool. And I just try to incorporate it into each of my treatments. And Mm -hmm. it's something they can readily reproduce at home. 
I'm sitting here doing it here, like <laughs> breathe in, breathe out. Like I did it before we started. Like, oh. It's a whole, it's right. It promotes relaxation. It promotes calm. It's just mm-hmm. one of those things that you have. Breath is really important. Um, and yet we kind of take that for granted sometimes. And it's a really easy, um, easy thing that we can do to promote and affect the body in some really positive ways. Another positive thing that I know is really helpful is exercise. So tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Absolutely. And I think um, it's important to note with exercise in particular, there were some myths around that with lymphedema for a long time. Some of my patients who went through treatment a long, long time ago, 20, 30, 35 years ago, um, were initially told, you know, don't ever use that arm or don't ever lift over 10 pounds because it's going to exacerbate the lymphedema. There's a lot of myths around that. And if anything, I hope one of the things you caught from our conversation earlier is how important your activation of your skeletal muscles are Mm -hmm. for helping to mobilize lymph fluid. And so exercise is really crucial. There are ways you can help it um, reduce the risk of triggering kind of an exacerbation of lymphedema. And that the the fundamental one, especially for people who aren't in an acute phase, who maybe are just managing more chronic Mm -hmm. lymphedema, is when you say, say somebody has gone through treatment, it's been a year or so since they've been in the gym or with COVID, haven't been going mm-hmm. to the gym and all of a sudden they're ready to go back. The biggest thing to be cautionary with when you're doing exercise and you have some pre-existing lymphedema, one, I would encourage you to wear your compression when you're exercising so that as you're using those muscles, they're they're exerting or compressing and contracting against that external compression, which helps mobilize the fluid more effectively mm-hmm. back into the trunk. So mm-hmm. wearing your compression garments that fit well and are comfortable, mm-hmm. um, but also making sure that you very gradually progress. So if you're doing a strength training program, we're going to start with lower resistance. Um, and may, a lot of times, say if I have somebody preoperatively was using, you know, 10 pound weights for some upper body strength training, post-surgically, once they've recovered and they're cleared to do so, we might cut to about 50, 40 to 50% of that weight and spend a couple of weeks at that reduced weight with their compression on, monitoring their limb for any change in symptoms. So we're going to go a little slower, but we absolutely can get back commonly to the same level of of pre-treatment strength training that they were doing. It just needs to be done slowly so as not to overload the lymphatic system. So exercise is really important. The strength training component is very important. Also maintaining a healthy body weight, significant um, morbid obesity does correlate with higher risk factors for development of lymphedema. So just Mm -hmm. in the, the whole context of general wellness, we're going to promote cardiovascular activity and Mm -hmm. trying to get back into a routine of doing that, say, three to five times per week. You know, all the American Cancer Society recommendations, Mm -hmm. right? But at least 30 minutes, that can be a walking program, that can be a cycling program. The pool, if for patients who um, have sufficient immune function, and obviously with COVID, this has Mm -hmm. been a challenge too, but an aquatic environment is great for lymphedema. That The water provides the resistance. You don't have your garments on in the pool, but the pool is a wonderful way to exercise. And so um, it's finding what is an enjoyable, active activity for you, uh, utilizing your compression garments if you have those available to you, incorporating diaphragmatic breathing before and after an exercise session, and just making sure to very gradually progress from a resistance standpoint if you're doing strength training. Um, those are kind of some guidelines that I would mm-hmm. offer around exercise and lymphedema, but it's it's really important and it's it should be encouraged as opposed to discouraged. 
Yeah, so definitely a, a switch from 20, 30 years ago. It's, yeah, there's it's, been a lot of changes and it's, it's evidence-based, it's research-based. I want to mm-hmm. underscore that. It's, it's really been shown how important activity and exercise is in someone who's struggling with lymphedema, aside from just their general wellness recommendations post-cancer diagnosis. Got it. And how about taking care of your skin? Because I imagine with all this swelling the and, and just what lymphedema does to your skin is got to be really challenging. So what is the best way to take care of that? Yeah. So I think uh, a really simple starting point is encouraging patients to get in the habit of hydrating their skin daily. A lot of people are not in the habit of using lotion regularly, and especially in colder, drier months, or if you're someone who's outside a lot and you're susceptible to the elements, if you will, um, just getting into a daily practice of applying a low pH lotion. um, And the low pH is just because that's a harder um, environment for bacteria to thrive in. So we've talked about how there's all this bacteria-laden fluid under the skin to reduce the risk of bacteria getting in and kind of taking over and creating a cellulitis situation, we want to use a lower pH lotion and trying to apply that daily. Um, Other practices would just be making sure that if you do get a cut or a scrape, you're attending to it and Mm -hmm. keeping it clean. And if it's not healing well, or you notice a delay in healing or a, a you have some cause for concern around infection, getting into a physician immediately and making sure that you get that looked at. Um, Other simple things are things like wearing sunscreen so you're not risking a a significant burn. Um, Using insect repellent if you're going to be out camping or in the woods hiking, um, you know, looking for ticks, just monitoring and and observing uh, the skin and making sure that if something um, has happened to it or that creates an avenue for infection that you respond promptly. Um, One other thing I will mention is a lot of my patients are actually great about the skincare piece because it's easy and quick and you can do it. Doesn't take a lot of time. Um, but they're not often as compliant around routine washing of the garments. So they might be using their uh-huh, garments every yeah. day, but mm-hmm. it's, it takes time to wash them, to dry them. It's, it, it's, it's something that um, can kind of go by the wayside. And so if their skin's impeccably cared for, but they're putting on really dirty garments, right? We're sweaty. We use them outside in the garden. They get dirty and soiled. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really important. Sometimes it's just a reminder of, hey, not only does it help keep the garment to last longer and to be more effective, but it's a, it's a reduction um, of infection risk. So just kind of doing a little reminder about routine washing for the garments. That's another piece I would encourage. The same thing we should be doing with our masks every few days. Right, which exactly. Most, like which think how disgusting us, they get, right? Which most <laughs> of us do not. <laughs> My husband's that's like, absolutely true. He's like, when was the last time you washed our masks? I'm like, I don't know. Pick, grab another one out of the box. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfectly true. <laughs> Um, So are there alternative treatments for lymphedema than everything we've gone over so far? Yeah, absolutely. And I will say one um, kind of like a fifth mode. I talked about the four things that you can do in traditional treatment, right? Compression, Mm -hmm. manual drainage, skincare exercise. I didn't mention before, um, a lot of times in that maintenance phase, we'll also use pneumatic pumps. So you certainly might have some Mm -hmm. listeners out Mm -hmm. there who are using pneumatic compression pumps. Um, That's a really, I have a lot of patients who love using those at home. It's an hour, roughly an hour long treatment, and it kind of simulates manual lymphatic drainage and can be really Mm -hmm. effective for moving fluid and reducing fibrosis. So that's just one we hadn't mentioned earlier. Um, and that's if your insurance covers it can be a great adjunct to your treatment. Um, there, are, as far as other treatments, 
in general, there are surgical techniques that are becoming more widely used. So they're still fairly new for lymphedema, meaning 10, 15 years roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, and those can include things like a, a lymph node transplant. So say you had a bunch of nodes, 20, 25 nodes taken out of the underarm and you're having a lot of problems with arm swelling or breast swelling. Sometimes now they'll do these micro surgical techniques, microvascular techniques um, where they're transplanting lymph nodes and, and vascular tissue up into the underarm. They might take it from the abdomen or the groin mm. and they'll actually create a new, basically a new route for that. Again, it's always about rerouting fluid that's stuck there. How do we get it to healthy tissue that can help ultimately get it back into our venous system? So lymph node transfers are an option. They also are doing some um, other microsurgical techniques that are connecting a lymph vessel to a vein. So instead of a a lymph to lymph vessel connection that's not working, they'll connect a lymph vessel to a vein and just kind of bypass short circuit that that deposit of the fluid Mm -hmm. back into the venous system. Um, And there's a couple other surgical techniques that are used. Um, I will say they're not cure-alls. They don't surgery for lymphedema. Mm -hmm. It doesn't cure it. You still have to do treatment, but it can be a helpful adjunct. So that's one mode sometimes patients will take. Um, And then there's some other things out there. I have a lot of patients who do things like rebounding, jumping, uh, jumping on a trampoline or using a Mm -hmm. vibration platform can stimulate the lymphatic system as a whole. Um, Kinesio taping can be used. A lot of people Mm -hmm. think of kinesio tape more for orthopedic issues, but if you put it on in a certain way, it can help lift the skin and create an avenue for movement of fluid. Um, There's some evidence to some effectiveness of low-level lasers that are used to help break up fibrosis in and around Mm, um, lymphedema. Again, a lot of those types of treatments, they're out there. And anecdotally, patients may benefit from them, but there's much less evidence-based research to support them or dictate the number of minutes per day or like the the actual specific Mm -hmm. parameters for treatment. But those are some of the things that I have a lot of patients who come in and ask about that. And it's not, I just don't use them as widely in my practice because they're not as, um, as based, their efficacy is not as based in research. So I tend to do more of the traditional CDT, but there are a lot of things that patients benefit from anecdotally that do, you can read about and understand how it could help support or stimulate the lymphatic system. Um, So I think it's, it's always something to consider. It's just, they're not as widely used for me in practice. Makes sense. Now, I know most of us, other than myself, because I go to Compass Oncology in Portland, (laughs) Oregon, can't get in to see you. How does someone find a good lymphedema therapist? Um, Obviously, check with your oncology practice, first of all. But if if they don't have someone in their practice, um, where do they go? Are there... How do they how do they find someone like you or even yeah. helpful information online? Yeah, so there are a lot of online resources. I agree with you. I always encourage you to ask. I, I like personal recommendations too, mm-hmm. so I always encourage you to check with oncologist or an organization like Breast Friends. If you you guys have different resources or list, um, or you have connections, you could say, "Hey, I know this person over here who's certified and qualified to do so." But for someone who really doesn't know where to start, um, a lot of the online resources have pretty decent directories. Um, if you look at things like CLT, so Certified Lymphedema Therapist, hyphen Lana, so the Lymphology Association of North America.com, CLT hyphen Lana.com. That would be one where they will have a listing of um, all the certified lymphedema therapists who also have that additional um, certification. If they've passed an additional test, if you will, it's just another merit of knowledge, but um, the CLT, CLTLana.org or .com, excuse me, is mm-hmm. they have a reference um, list of clinicians and you can just punch in a zip code. So that's how you kind of get to, okay, who's within 
20 minute mm-hmm. drive of my home. Um, the National Lymphedema Network, uh, so their website, I believe it's net lymph, hold on, lymphnet.org. I had to think about it for a second. Uh, there's, I have so many in my head. So yes. happy to send you some after. But, um, but so yes, if going to websites like that, usually one of their little drop down windows is therapist directory. So Perfect. the only challenge sometimes I'll mention is that if you, if the therapist hasn't signed up with them, they won't necessarily be on that directory. So sometimes I, I sure. will say like the CLT Lana one is a little, because they have to pass that test. That's a more comprehensive list. Um, but a lot of times too, in each city, like in Portland, there's a Portland lymphedema group. And we, so we have a website and you can, um, or different email links where you can, we together, if I have some a patient who comes in and they live on the coast, then we can um, absolutely get them that information. So perfect. So listeners start with Google and then go to the websites Christy mentioned. <laughs> Perfect. But we are unfortunately out of time. Christy, thank you so much for sharing. This is all such important, helpful information. And I know our listeners definitely really benefited from it today. I did, and I don't even have lymphedema. Oh, I thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. It's my honor to work with the patients that I have and to reach out to anyone who's struggling with this issue. So I I greatly appreciate the invite. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Listeners, if you or a loved one need our services, please go to www.breastfriends.org. If you'd like to donate to help our mission, you can do it on our website or by texting BF Radio to 41444. If you'd like to nominate yourself to be a guest or to share a warrior story, email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, we rise by lifting each other. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle Beck again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.